We are indeed very thankful for the presence of each and every one of you, for the opportunity that God has provided us to be together today to worship him and to declare these great messages in song about heaven, about our home, and about the hilltops of glory, that one day we'll see a home in heaven, that when I go home, it will be all worth it, everything we've gone through in this life. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, where our scripture reading was from just a few moments ago. We're going to pick up there in about verse 46 of the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And while you're opening there, again, we want to express, as Brian did so, so nicely, how thankful we are for each and every visitor, individuals that are here maybe for the first time with us, or maybe the second time, or however many times you've been here, you are just an encouragement to us and to our members. We're glad that you are here and that we've come together on this very important day, the Lord's Day, to worship our God together. This is also a day that many are celebrating uh, those who uh, wear the title of being a mother. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be a good mother today, but more broadly, what it means to be a good person today by using the words of arguably one of the greatest mothers in the history of humanity, a lady by the name of Mary. And of course, you are familiar with Mary. You were introduced to her uh, in Luke chapter 1, verses 36 and following at the outset of our study together this morning. And I want us to use the words of the song of Mary, as we sometimes call it, or the Magnificat, as being a model for mothers today. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 and verse 46, and we'll read there in just a moment. But I want to start with the warning. I want to start with the what I've called the caveat, the fact that we've got to make a couple of statements just as a legal disclaimer, that the lawyers are making me make this statement. I'm kidding. No, no one made me make this, but, but I thought it was important to make a couple of two or three observations. One of those is that we live in a world where for almost 1,500, 1,600, now 1,700 years, Catholicism and other religions, and this isn't a pick on Catholic day, uh, but and other major denominations have taken Mary, the mother of Jesus, and have elevated her to a place of almost or de facto uh, deity. And in fact, you will go to certain places, if you've ever been to a funeral for someone uh, of a different uh, religion or a wedding, and you've been a part of that, you may say, what is going on here at this service? They're praying to Mary. They're giving gifts to Mary. Uh, they have a statue of what supposedly Mary looked like. And it can be a very confusing thing to someone who's not familiar with what that religion is about. And so we've got to be cautious that we don't elevate Mary to a place of perfection. Mary was a human being uh, who had her challenges and had her difficulties much like our own. And we need to acknowledge that when it comes to praying through Mary or praying to Mary, nothing is said about that in Scripture. And this is not really the scope of our study together to th th this morning. But I say all that simply to point out that this doesn't mean that we shouldn't 
look at the text, and we should not ignore the text. And I think sometimes we are uncomfortable talking about the mother of Jesus, Mary, who as a virgin was with the Holy Spirit and was with child, and we know gave birth to the perfect individual, the one through whom we have all of our hope. And that really is the intent of our study together today. And so I want us to read, beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, and we're going to read down through verse 56. This may be a very familiar text to you. This may not be a familiar text to you because we may sometimes be a little bit uneasy with texts about Mary because of the various reasons that I've established in the introduction to our study together this morning. But Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house at the conclusion of this beautiful song. When you look at the gospel of Luke and when you look at the gospels in general, they are indeed factual accounts of the life of Jesus. And so when we look at this particular text, it is important for us to recall that Luke is a very fact-oriented writer, not that Matthew, Mark, and John were involved in fiction. But Luke, if you look at the first couple of verses at the outset of the the book that he writes in one of the longest of the Gospels, he says this is a factual account. This is something that is written in this particular time with these particular people in power, and it is a fact that these things have transpired. And so he timestamps it by using verses 1 and 5 of the first chapter. He is, unless I am mistaken, the only author to focus on Mary as a mother in some sort of an elaborate or extensive way. We know that Matthew famously makes reference to the birth of Jesus, uh, but Mark and John seem to say we're going to take a different direction. Mark, probably because of the brevity with which he was writing, and John because of the scope of what John was trying to accomplish in his letter. Now, as good Bible students, this probably isn't surprising to us because Luke was the writer that so often was interested in the underrepresented in the culture of the first century Judea and the surrounding countryside. He was focused on Samaritans. He was focused on lepers. He was focused on the sick. Part of that could be because of his uh, profession as as a medical doctor. And he was focused on women. You'll see more references to women, it seems, in the book of Luke as the underserved population of the first century than in any other of the gospels. 
And so this, the Song of Mary, is a not-so-often-highlighted, important text that is indeed truly beautiful. And I think we want to take today to spend just a few moments looking at the text and drawing some conclusions. And I want us to recognize five key things about godly mothers, and I want us to make it more broad than that as we conclude about godly individuals. Even though these are the words of someone who is excited about what God has done in her and making her a mother, it is also important for us to acknowledge that each of these five things are important for us today. And we're going to use the text as our outline, and we're going to go out of order and look at different verses in the course of our study together this morning. And then I want us to draw a couple of very basic two or three conclusions that I think are very important for us today and each day that we live. The first of those things that Mary seemed to get right and that we need to make sure that we get right is a true appreciation for the greatness of God's mercy. God's mercy is great. And we have talked about grace a couple of times over the last four months. I want us to talk about mercy today. Mercy is indeed a central message of the Bible. It is God's message to humanity. In fact, without mercy, there is no hope. We say without grace, there is no hope, and similar, similarly, that is true. The word mercy is used by Luke more than any other New Testament writer. That's probably not a surprise as well when you stop and think about the scope of his 20-some chapters and what he was trying to accomplish, and that he was concerned about Christ's mercy for those that were underserved in the first century in that part of the world. And so there are two verses that jumped out to me in this particular text. The first of those is in verse 50, where it says, His mercy is on those who fear him. And then verse 54, Mary says, I'm doing so in remembrance or in memory of his mercy. And we appreciate the fact that we ought to be individuals who never neglect the mercy of our Father, of our God, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so, what do we mean by mercy? Well, simply put, before we go on to our second observation, I think it's important for us to define mercy. Now, we've looked at two passages, or to understand that the concept of mercy and pity belong together. And I borrowed this quote from someone, and I put it in quotes, it assumes a need on the part of him who receives it. And so, when someone shows you mercy or shows you pity, it's because they know you need it. Now, we are blessed with uh, law enforcement uh, in our audience today, and we're grateful for the work that they do. But when a law officer shows you mercy, not that any of you have ever had the experience to have mercy shown to you by uh, a, a see, see, okay, I'm not the only one. Good, I, I'm glad. It's happened a time or two, mostly in my younger days, a little bit too fast, a little bit too quick on the turn, whatever the case may be. And they say, oh, I'm gonna let you go with a warning. That's mercy. They see you need pity. So I'm gonna let you go and that's gonna be okay. And you just go with a warning. Whew, made it through. 
when someone shows you mercy in your workplace because you messed up or you made some sort of a mistake or it was an error that cost the company some money. And they say, well, we're not going to fine you. We're not going to dock your pay. We're not going to suspend you for a week, whatever the case may be. They see that you need pity. God saw in us as human beings, we need to be pitied because without that pity, we are of all men the most pitiable or miserable to borrow from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19 where he uses similar language. We need God's mercy. And Mary could have spoken about anything and everything in this very brief 10, 11, 12 verse section. And it's a, it's a song that is easily memorized and that is read or that is quoted in all of about 60 seconds or less. And in it, she says, God's mercy is abundant and it is great. And we need to never underestimate his mercy. I, I would argue that there should really be a never a time that we go a week or so without expressing real sincere thanks and gratitude for God and for his mercy. The second observation is that God values and sees individuals who are lowly. To be lowly is by definition indeed to be humble. And to be humble or to be lowly is to be of a low estate. I once heard someone describe it this way, that when he recognized how great God is and how worthless he was, he wanted to get as low on the ground as possible to pray to God because that's where he felt the most appropriate flat on the ground, praying to the God of creation. When we bow our heads in prayer, when we kneel in prayer, when we take any sort of a physical posture, it is the idea of saying, you are great and I am not. You are powerful and I am powerless because we understand that's the God that we serve. We started today in our first prayer, and one of the first things that we acknowledged in prayer today is that, God, you are great, and God, you are awesome. We need to always remember that's who God is, and we are not. In verse 48, the text says, he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Mary says, you've looked at me, and you have made me special. I'm going to be a mother, and I may not understand everything about being a mother of the Son of God, but I understand it's going to be pretty spectacular. I mean, the fact that I am with child and I've never known a man is spectacular in and of itself, but the fact that you're telling me that I'm going to be the one who gives birth to the, to the child that becomes the man that is the one who, as Danny said, lays down his life for humanity, that's powerful. Verse 52, it says, he has exalted the lowly. God takes those who are low and makes them high. And conversely, takes those who are high and he takes them down a notch or two and makes them low. I know that because of what I've seen in some years of life, in my own life or in the lives of others who have elevated themselves. But I also know it because of passages like Matthew chapter 23, which Danny referenced at the outset of our Lord's Supper talk this morning. He says, whoever exalts himself in verse 12, uh, or verse 11, 
uh, he says, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, Jesus would say, and he who humbles himself, that person will be exalted. And so we talked about humility a couple of weeks ago, and we returned to that subject yet again today. In Peter's very brief letter late in the New Testament, there the writer, the apostle, the elder, the friend of Jesus says, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. He says, not just those of you who are younger, he says, but all of you. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with lowliness or clothed with humility. And the reason is because God resists the proud, verse six, verse five, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. I think it's interesting that the inspired writer that Peter here uses the word resist. Do not resist God. We do not want to be guilty of resisting God, and we do not want God to resist us. And that works both ways in the relationship that we share with him and the relationship that we share with each other in how we see ourselves as whether we are important or whether we are not. Let me suggest to you a third thing that uh, people in general, godly mothers appreciate, and that Mary got right, is that real lasting riches are godly in nature. The best thing that parents can ever do for us as children, and the best thing that we can do for our children, and on and on, is to stress what really matters in this life, and that is real riches which are godly in nature. And as we said in our Bible class this morning, as Jason pointed out, God has never promised us monetary riches. And he in fact tells us that we may lose some of our wealth, physically speaking, financially speaking, because of the challenges that come as a result of our service to him. There are so many different passages that come to mind in the book of Proverbs and elsewhere. But turn back to Psalm 34, verse 19. There's a statement that the psalmist made that I was thinking about over the last week in preparing for this particular study. And it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And... Paul would famously write to Timothy, and he would say in his second letter, he says, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. And so both those passages together tell us that God hasn't promised us a lives void of challenges financially and otherwise. But I love verse 53 of the text that we're focusing on this morning. There in Luke chapter 1 where indeed it says he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And it reminds me of Matthew chapter five, where Jesus himself would later teach, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You and I, us, 
members of this congregation, members of the community, people who live in the United States, we may not ever acquire real wealth. Though the caveat to that is that we are more wealthy than virtually everybody in the world, as we often point out. But compared to others in the United States, we may not be blessed financially, but we are blessed in our God. It seems to me that perspective is absolutely key for us as saints. We've got to understand what really matters the most. Let me suggest to you fourthly that our joy in the Lord should be real and not fake, that it should be authentic, that it should be really appreciated. Christians should be the most pleasant, the most joyous, the happiest people in the world. We've heard that said before. That's not a biblical statement, but it certainly is a biblical concept given the fact that we've been redeemed, that we have been reconciled, that we have been brought back to our God and made whole in our relationship with him. Let me suggest to you three passages here very quickly uh, in the order in which they transpire in the New Testament. One of those is the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And John 15 is a powerful text. Uh, This is where Jesus begins the Uh, towards the end of his life. He's now in the closing hours of his life, basically, saying that a helper is going to come. I'm going to die. Uh, I'm laying down my life. And he says in chapter 15, verse 11, he says, these are the things that I'm telling you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now, don't get me wrong here. But it seems to me that Jesus is saying, I want you who are followers of me to be filled with joy. We say, well, how can I be filled with joy when all these difficult things are happening in my life? It goes back to the previous slide, the very last thing that I said, it's all about perspective. You will have a life that is filled with difficulty because of what the scriptures have promised those of us who are faithful to his cause. But you will also have a life that is filled with joy. And I have known Christians most of my life. And some of the most joyous Christians are often the ones who have very little financially, medically, or in terms of family relationships. But they're joyous, and their joy can be made full in Jesus the Christ. Paul would write in the Christ-centered short epistle of Colossians, and in chapter 4 and verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And the reason I chose that particular passage is because we need to walk in a way that shows others the joy that we share in ourselves but mostly in Jesus Christ, ourselves and our relationship with Christ, but with Christ in general in a more particular form. And then again in 1 Peter, we turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, where the text says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, as pilgrims, that you abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, 
glorify God in the day of visitation. I would suggest that part of our good works is showing that we are a people of joy, filled with joy, based on what John 15 verse 11 has taught us. And so we go back to Luke chapter 1. And what does Mary, this great mother, this model mother tell us? She says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Real joy in the Lord isn't dependent on things going well. And that takes us back to the context of Habakkuk chapter 3, which we don't have the time to go back and to really appreciate right now. But you remember that Habakkuk the prophet was looking around at a world that was filled with despair, injustice, and things that were wrong. And he says, paraphrasing broadly, why is this happening? And when are you going to make things better, my Lord? And God, of course, famously says late in chapter 1, early in chapter 2, I'm going to do it in my time, in my way. You just have the responsibility of being joyous and being focused on what really matters. Again, perspective makes a huge play in this, which brings us to 1 Timothy chapter 6, which is a oft-quoted passage that talks about the love of money as being a root of all forms of evil. But I want to pick up here in verse 6 and just read a couple of verses just to establish this point a little bit further. He says that godliness with contentment is great gain, not financial wealth. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Paul said that, but you know who else could have said that? That sounds like a Job statement to me. Verse 8, having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all types of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Our joy ought not be in the things that go on in this life but rather in the relationship that we have in God and the salvation that we enjoy in his name. And fifthly and finally and perhaps most importantly, one of the reasons that Mary was a good mother is because she always magnified the Lord and never focused on herself. If God were to come to you through an angel or through a cousin and say, hey, you are going to be a parent of the one through whom all the world will be saved. There's a real danger of you being prideful and saying, well, look how great I am. Of all the people in the world, God chose me to be the parent of the Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. But that's not how Mary responded here in Luke chapter 1. Saints need to try to reflect and in doing so magnify the Lord so that we never highlight our own accomplishments. Every time I think about that concept, I think about Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16 where Jesus would say that when others see your good, God may be glorified. That when people see the good that you do, it's not about the good that you've done. When they see your honesty, your integrity, your standing up for what is right, your selflessness and your refusal to be selfish, it's not a matter of, well, that's, I'm just a good person. No, it's because I'm reflecting and magnifying my Lord Jesus the Christ. 
And Paul would say to the church at Corinth by saying, it's not about me, and it's not about Apollos, and it's not about Cephas. But there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through following, he says, who am I? He's, when I read chapter 3, verse 5, it's almost like Paul saying, I'm a nobody. I am unimportant. Now, I'm important because God says I'm important, but I don't look at myself as being important. He says, who is Apollos? We are merely ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. And I mentioned this a week or two ago in one of our studies, that it's not about the work that a preacher does or that a Bible class teacher does, or you one-on-one does in trying to get someone to come to the truth and to be obedient to the gospel, sure, that's important work, and it needs to be celebrated, and you need to feel a sense of, well, I've done some good today, but God is the one who gave the increase. I was just planting and watering. I was just doing all that I could to help this particular person along. Let's go back to Luke chapter 1, and in verse 46, She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary's chief concern in her praise was God and not herself. And again, I don't know if I was involved in the parenthood of the Savior. I'm not sure I would put that focus on God. There's a part of me that would like to post on Facebook, guess what just happened to me? And let everyone see that. But that's not what Mary does. My soul magnifies the Lord my God. You know, if you want a bonus text sometime in the next week or so, go and read 1 Samuel chapter 2, the first couple of verses. Some of you have already thought about that particular text in our study together today where Hannah says it's all about God and it is not about me. It is about him. Well, why would I pick this text today? It's partly because it's a mother's text and a very special mother. But let me conclude with two slides and some final thoughts. And that is what about mothers today? What were the five things that we talked about? Well, some of you are taking notes. Some of you are following along in the outline. Some of you, if you like my notes later, you're welcome to them. You can also go to our website and find all of this information available later today throughout this week. But let me suggest to you five things. Number one is that mothers deserve mercy, literally pity, because it's a hard job. I don't know that because of experience, But I'm looking at what my mother did with five children. I'm looking at what mothers here do. And as we'll say in just a few moments, it is not something that comes with instructions. They deserve pity, mercy, and grace. Mothers who are good mothers, and that would be, I think, all that are present today. And we are blessed with lots of mothers of children who are older, and we're blessed with a lot of children who are yet to be born. In the matter of the next few weeks or months, they're coming into this world, and we're excited about that as well. And some who just came into this world in the last few weeks, and we're excited about that as well. But mothers see themselves as lowly and are unassuming. They don't see themselves as important. Look at me, I'm a mom. Mothers may not be rich, 
but they are rich. Reminds me of the chicken backs. I didn't know chicken have backs. I mean, I guess they do. Everything's got a back to it. But the woman at the dinner table on Sunday, she'd fry up chicken for the whole family. And this is back in the days where families had seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 children. 13, as my grandfather was one of 13. And they'd pass her around the plate and she would say, I'll take the chicken back. I like the chicken back. I'm told that the, uh, I don't know, I don't even know what chicken backs taste like. I don't think they taste like much. There's not much meat to them. But she says, I'll take the back of the chicken so that my children and my husband and so that anybody else who may have joined us for Sunday lunch, that they can enjoy the rest of the meat. Mothers aren't concerned with being rich. You can ask your mom right now, would you rather have a million dollars or would you rather have me be obedient to you, be respectful to you, and be obedient to my Lord and to my God. And I guarantee you that every mother that is present here today that has a godly mindset says, forget the money. I want you to do what the Lord asks you to do because that matters the most. That's the real riches that transpire. Number four, be joyful about your mom. You only get one. You may have a bonus mom, and I get that, and that's okay too, but be joyful about your mom. And number five, be thankful. Magnify God for the blessing of your mother because of what he did in giving you someone that provided for you and took care of you. Now, I know that this is, before we close, a difficult day for some. And my heart goes out to you. For those of you that have children that are no longer living, no longer in your life, whatever the case may be. And my intention was not to make you sad. That's already going to happen today because you're going to see others who are celebrating, and I understand that. But let me provide for you what real joy is like. It's in the Lord. And let me give you these three final thoughts based on what Mary suggested some 2,000 years ago. One, going back to the point that I made a moment ago, give grace to your mom and be kind to her if she's still alive. If she's not alive and maybe you weren't as gracious in her lifetime as you could have been, you can pray to God and say, maybe I should have been a little bit more gracious There's no such thing as a training manual. And I guarantee every godly mother will say, I wish I would have done things a little bit differently with this child or this child or that child, whatever the case may be. No mother who was present here today would say, I've succeeded in everything I've done. That's just not the way it works. That's not true for mothers who are or mothers to be. Let me suggest to you that if you as a younger person or those of you that are a little bit older and you still are blessed with your mothers around, if she's godly, be doubly grateful that God provided and blessed you in a home that has a mother that cares about spiritual things. And from the book of Second Opinions, the last book that I'll quote from, talk to your mom frequently if you have the opportunity. And I'm speaking to a particular gender because sometimes we're not real good about that. 
If you haven't called your mom, if she's around, and you're a man, a boy, if you take it for granted, do so sometime. And when you go off to college and you get busy with your friends, call her every once in a while. I don't know what that means, but it's more than once a year on May 14th, right? I know these things are hard, but I hope that they're helpful because it seems to me that Mary spoke about joy in the Lord. This is not just about good mothers. It's about good saints and real joy in the Lord. Indeed, Mary was special. And we ought not take that away from her, aside from the fact that we might be uncomfortable going back to the very first thing that I said at the outset of our study together today. But you in the Lord are special as well. You are his own special people called out for a good purpose. And you may not be a mother. You may have regrets as a mother. You may be a father. You may be just a, a single person. You may, whatever state you're in, you can always magnify the Lord and be joyous in his faithful love. We want to do what we can to encourage you today. And again, I hope that the spirit and the intent of our study together today has been clear and not one to make you sad, but rather to give us pause as to how God blesses us in so many ways. And he'll bless you if you choose to do what he's asked you to do. And he'll do so in ways that are beyond your comprehension. If you are obedient to him, if you need to be baptized, we encourage you to do so today. You will be a joy to everyone that is present here today. Mothers and fathers, children and parents, everyone will be excited about your choice to become a Christian. Or if you need to come home and make things right with the Lord and need the prayers of brethren, we're happy to assist you. If we can help you in any way, let us know while we stand, while we sing.